Okay, welcome back to On the Ground. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm here with Alex, and uh, we are pastors at the Gathering Church in Peterborough, Ontario. Our third musketeer, uh, Ryland Auger, is busy trying to finish a paper on John Gilmore. It's fascinating stuff, actually. Uh, did you know they were the first Baptist to the area, Al? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's a good legacy yeah. to have. Um, so this week, we had a nice little easy question from our friend uh, Chance Faulkner on the nature of law and grace mm-hmm. and how they relate to one another and how that looks on the ground for the Christian. Mm-hmm. So this is a great question. Um, it's a big topic mm-hmm. and uh, one that many Christians struggle with understanding. Uh, this is not just a jaunt into uh, abstract theology. How we understand law and grace and how they work in our life, they have that has massive ramifications um, mm-hmm. about how we live. So we really want this to be practical. Um, Al, I hope you're ready. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, obviously we're not going to cover this topic exhaustively, but uh, maybe we could begin by kind of setting the groundwork uh, for those who aren't necessarily up on the terms. Um, what are we talking about by law and grace? Yeah, so I, I think that when I've heard the terms law and grace uh, spoken of together like this, um, usually it's an indication that we're not speaking of law and grace in biblical ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd like to think through. There's a category of law versus grace or of law and grace that that my understanding from listening to people use law and grace this way, of reading of it used this way, uh, they are mainly communicating the idea that law equals um, the requirements that God has placed on us Mm -hmm. or our moral obligations. It's what we ought to do. And grace is what God has done, mm-hmm. or what what He has done in Jesus Christ in the gospel. So law is kind of what's required of us, our obedience, our moral obligations, and grace is what God has done. And I think the biggest danger in this, and where it gets confusing, is that there's a half-truth here. Mm-hmm. That, that all law certainly includes commands and obligations in the Bible. And we're going to look at what what the Bible means by the term law. Um, And grace is certainly referring to what God has done through Jesus Christ apart from our works, in in spite of our disobedience. So there is a a antithesis there that is partly biblical. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is where I think it goes off the rails when we use it in a reductionistic way as an absolute category. So let me just, I thought I could actually start by giving people listeners and a practical example of yes, how please. these theological categories make our our heads screwed up great so i remember having a conversation with a christian leader one time and you know somebody been a christian i would assume for you know 15 to 20 years mm-hmm. um and i remember they were saying that they don't feel the need to read the bible every day and in fact they don't like people telling them they should because that's just legalistic mm-hmm. and instead um, we should be gracious uh, well that that brings up a whole lot of issues um, 
but the assumption underneath it is that it's legalistic if we tell someone they ought to do something. If right. we say you have a moral obligation to do something, we're being legalistic, we're relying on the law and not but not on grace. The problem is with that example in particular that Jesus says that we actually live by every word that comes from God, mm, right? And not bread alone. So we don't read our Bibles um simply because we ought to is this bare you know inhumane fact above our heads we read our bibles for the same reason that we eat food and we breathe air that reading scripture ought not to be more any more legalistic than breathing right and and but where i'm going with this topic is that there's a view that any kind of moral obligation has to do with the law Mm -hmm. and if you focus on the law you are legalistic and you are a pharisee but the problem is um well, that's just not the case. And then the flip side is what people mean by grace is they often are referring only to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, apart from any obligation it places on us. So right. if yes. I want to live the Christian life, it's all by grace through faith, then um, moral obligations or you ought to do this falls under law. And how do I fit that in the Christian life? And mm-hmm. here's another thing we may have grown up with, or we have grown up with many of us is moralism yes and moralism is essentially telling people what they ought to be and do apart from the gospel apart from reminding them who god is and what he's done the problem is not necessarily in in what we are being told to be and to do uh the problem is that we're not being motivated by Christ, by the gospel. And so all that we are being told to be and do is not actually being done for his glory, is not actually being done in love for him as a response to his love, because that's the only way we do a loving thing, is a Mm. response to the love of God. We love because he loved us. And we'll have some other selfish motivation, not the good of other people. So unless we are being motivated by the love of God, we are not truly being loving. Unless we're being motivated by the glory of God, We are not truly doing it for his glory. Unless we are being motivated by the love of God, we're not truly doing it for other people's, uh, for the good of other people. So moralism is essentially preaching an ethics or morality that's that's Christian or almost Christian, apart from the gospel. Right. And many of us grew up in churches that we, if you were to ask us, you know, as a 15-year-old kid, what does it mean to be a Christian? We might give a list of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do Yes, as fundamental to what makes us a Christian. In other words, what's the difference between me and my friend in high school who's not a Christian? Our understanding is, well, he thinks it's okay to sleep with his girlfriend, and I don't. Now, there's a half-truth there. That is a difference between us, but that is not the fundamental difference. Mm -hmm. The fundamental difference is the work of God through Jesus Christ in our life. The the difference is that we have been saved by grace through faith in the powerful working of God. So, um, sorry, can I just interrupt yes, you there? Go ahead. What are what are some consequences of um, kind of building our house on a foundation of moralism? What will that look like in life? Well, in, in general terms, you'll fluctuate between um, extreme pride yes. or extreme despair. Right. You will be, and I've felt these things. It's just, we all have. Yes. Uh, but we don't really understand the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not motivated by the gospel. We feel 
a proud superiority over others. And this is what you see with Jesus rebuking the Pharisees is they they necessarily because God and the and God's glory and God's love is not the standard, then other people become the standard. Right. And you're just elevating yourself yes, as over long them. as I'm better than them. As long as yeah. I'm better than the next guy. And you spend your life in kind of a a, a, a place of pride. Yeah. And superiority or over denial. Or yeah. or denial. And you necessarily have to you push away all the broken parts, the sinful parts, mm. the parts that don't measure up. Right. You, the Pharisees, created their own morality. Because what do you do when you hear the moral standards and then you realize you don't you don't measure up? If you're not going to crumble, you have to re-envision. Yes. So you know what? Um, yeah, I'm going to make up a new law. And you see the Pharisees did that. They tithed, you know, right down to their spices. Yeah. But they ignored the weightier matters. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Because weightier matters are hard. Yes. In fact, impossible. Yeah. So Jesus said, you, you still should have tithed, but you ought not to have ignored these things. Or they just lead to a despair. Yes. They lead to, a, if, if you have, I have a shred of honesty, mm-hmm. if being a Christian is simply doing the right things and not doing bad things, then I'm just not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I felt that too. Just, In fact, that was kind of the place that the Lord really used to either save me or bring about renewal was to realize that the depth of my own hypocrisy and yes. how moralism is just a dead end and i'm yeah. just not a moral person yeah um and it wasn't until i understood the gospel that i felt set free from a lot of the sins that plagued me mm-hmm. but yeah pride and despair it's a terrible place and i think uh kind of our if you've been raised in, in, in kind of con- more conservative circles, I mean, praise God that you have, haven't been exposed to, to some things, but that does um, lead to certain dangers as well. You, you can go a long time um, kind of going through the motions and, 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 you know, making other people convinced that you are a Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, really, you just have a godliness without power. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. we you know, in conservative Orthodox circles, that's a, that's a serious danger. Mm-hmm. We can look outside mm-hmm. and say, like you say, you look what they're doing, aren't we mm-hmm. good? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fundamental commandment is, do mm-hmm. you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Mm-hmm. And that can only be a work of, of grace in our yeah. hearts. Yeah. And so as far as the law and gospel, or law and grace category, a lot of this category... Um, it's older than the recent discussions. Absolutely. But yeah. but it is brought back again recently, I think, is a major, in a major way, is a response to moralism in the churches. Mm-hmm. It's saying, look, that is not the gospel. Yes. Don't sleep with your girlfriend and, you know, um, don't do drugs and, you know, come to church or read your Bible. That's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been a, a, an encouraging recovery of the gospel and the clarity about, look, this is about Jesus, yeah. about what he's done, about who he is. But there's been, after we recover this gospel, we, we can look back, and I've felt this, and kind of look back with suspicion on any kind of obedience any, or yeah. requirements. Yeah. And then we, we, this is where the law thing comes in. If we call all obedience and all requirements, all imperatives in Scripture, commands law just throw them under that category and say well we're not under the law we're under grace and therefore downplay that yeah we have distorted what both law is and what grace is yes that all law and scripture is gracious Mm -hmm. and all grace comes with law in in a biblical sense 
And this is not to distort the gospel. This is not to distort the new covenant and the old covenant. Um, so I think the law grace thing, to answer your question, people um, wrongly call law just the imperatives or what we ought to do and wrongly reduce grace to just what God has done. Right. And that's a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. So the way I think we ought to think of this is we ought to think of covenant relationships. So mm-hmm. in the old covenant, um, God made with Moses, for example, or Israel, it was given as um, a loving act from a loving God in grace to an undeserving people. And all of their obedience that he asked of them was to be a response to that love and a response to that grace. This is another misconception people have that everything, for example, in the old covenant is just law in a reductionistic category and everything in the new is grace. But that's not that's not true. Mm-hmm. The new covenant comes with moral obligations, namely to love God and to love your neighbor. Yes. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is not that one had commands and one doesn't. That's another thing many people believe. It's that the old covenant was insufficient because we couldn't keep the commands. Right. It lacked the power. It lacked the yeah. power. And so the new covenant, one of the glorious things about it is that Jesus has come. Yes. And Jesus is the faithful covenant partner we can't be. Mm, amen. He is the one who loves God and loves neighbor fully and does all to the glory of God the Father. And he dies in the place of sinners and pays the penalty for their sin and rises to give forgiveness and reconciliation and bring us back to God. But what he also does when he saves us is he actually changes us, as Jeremiah 31 says, and places the law on our hearts. Mm -hmm. The difference, though, again, is not that we don't have commands in the New Covenant. It's that they have been kept by Jesus. So the basis of our relationship is Christ, not our uh, keeping of the commands. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's no longer from uh, fear or, yes. or guilt. The, the entire momentum is, is, is different. Yes. It's, it's out of love and, yes. and uh, gratitude. Exactly. But it doesn't mean it's without commands. They yes. just serve a different role. That's right. Now they are in a response, which is what Paul refers to as the obedience of faith, Romans mm-hmm. 16. He says that the gospel is able to strengthen you. And he, he goes on to say at the end, um, for the obedience of faith. That is the gospel that strengthens believers for true obedience of faith, which is what God has always required. So the problem with the whole law gospel thing is that one of the main purposes of the gospel or the grace of God is to bring about obedience. And if you just think all obedience is law and law is bad, you don't know one of the main purposes of God in your life, namely genuine obedience, Mm -hmm. not as a ground of our salvation, not as a ground of God's love for us, but as a faith-filled response to all that God has done through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm just speaking personally here for a few seconds. I can testify to the power of comprehending grace, not as a, a doctrine that you affirm verbally, but when it becomes the means, when you finally get grace, yeah. there's, I mean, I, I remember um, I struggled for many years feeling the weight of guilt and trying to 
maintain, uh, you know, the moralism mm-hmm. that I had erected for myself and that mm-hmm. I perceived, you know, elsewhere and, and, and being utterly discouraged and disheartened at mm-hmm. the end of the day when I didn't feel like I could, you know, hang my head or lift my head high when I came into God's presence, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's, it's the transforming power of real grace. Real grace doesn't just... Um, an excuse it's not just an excuse not for obedience real grace always propels obedience yeah. and yeah. and and sins and things that had been lodged uh in my life for many years suddenly there was another power there it was an mm-hmm. alien power that mm-hmm. i you know i i could not have conjured up by myself mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. uh and just it's an important thing to realize yeah uh, that it's it's far different when we just we appropriate grace mm-hmm. in a real way in mm-hmm. our lives and just how law, as we're saying, is not, it's not less than commands. The Old Covenant law refers to commands, instructions. We're told yes. ver- verbs to walk in, to obey, to keep. We're told that it's possible to break the law, to mm-hmm. be unfaithful to the law. But it is more than that. It is a covenant relationship that God graciously makes out of love for his people and calls for the obedience of faith. And we didn't do that. So law is not just commands, um, and every covenant comes with commands. The new covenant and grace um, is often misunderstood too. So Paul anticipates this. Romans 6, right? He's he's writing all about the grace of God, and it's apart yeah. from yes. the law. And so he anticipates some objection. Hey, if it's all by grace and not by what we do, then we, should we just sin yeah. that grace can abound? Yeah. And he says, he doesn't come back and say, oh, no, 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 you need to also, you still need to keep the law. He doesn't say that. He says, by no means, how can we who have died with, died to sin yeah. still live in it? And he talks about how um, grace is not saying there is, there is uh, no such thing as moral obligations in our life. Grace is saying that the basis of our relationship with God is not founded on our perfection to those standards. Yeah. But but grace also goes further in actually giving us power through the death and resurrection of Jesus to live a new life. Mm-hmm. And any understanding of grace that's kind of averse to, um, repulsive of obedience, doesn't actually understand grace. Yes, It's not a problem of you have too high a view of the law or something like that. It's that you don't understand grace grace Mm. because grace means you've died your sinful old self that lived for yourself and your glory has died with jesus and just as he was raised to new life you have been raised to new life through faith in him so you need to walk according to who you are walking according to the grace of god so um grace and and the new covenant and the gospel come with moral obligations First John just makes this really clear, just when we think about what love is. Um, in this is love, not that we have loved God, First John 4.10, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So again, God loved us when we didn't love him. It's mm-hmm. all grace. Yeah. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's not law, right? That's not law in the sense of um, the old covenant. That's the gospel. Yeah. God has loved us, and so our response ought to be love for him. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which law is a principle in Scripture. Law could be 
our obligations in a generic sense. But Paul says he's under the law of Christ. I'm not under the Mosaic law, but it's not as though I have no moral obligations. Right. I have the obligation to love. Um, not as the basis for my relationship, but as a response to what God has done through Jesus in the relationship. We love because he first loved us, John goes on to say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just need that the law of grace thing is mainly unhelpful. Okay. That, that all covenant relationships come with obligations. And the new covenant is... is um, an outworking of God's love for his people and is founded on grace through the work of Jesus Christ. And our response to that ought to be to love him and to mm-hmm. love others. Mm-hmm. And importantly, must be motivated by the gospel. So the way we get out of legalism and moralism, to go back to our first discussion, yeah. is not by removing all commands in scripture, not by saying, oh, don't tell me what I ought to do. That's legalistic. No, the way we get out of moralism and legalism is by me being motivated by the gospel, is being motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And and that's what it means to walk in the spirit. And that's what it means to have the obedience of faith. So both the legalist and the licentious person or the person who just says, ah, commands don't matter, have the same problem. Mm-hmm. They just both don't understand Jesus. And and fail to follow him as a response to his grace. Mm-hmm. Um. So when when we read through the Psalms and we uh, hear David um, delighting in the law of God, mm-hmm. um, how should we, as New Covenant Christians, understand that? Mm-hmm. Can what is the law he's referring to? Yeah. And, and so, so a, a helpful, that's a helpful example because David, I believe in Psalm 119, he's referring to the old, the old covenant. Yes. He's not just referring to commands. Mm-hmm. He's referring to everything in the old covenant, uh, probably the whole Torah, the first yeah. five books of the Bible, um, which is God's instruction to us, which again, law includes commands and it includes imperatives, but it also it is more than that. So the law is also a revelation of who God is. Right. You know, Leviticus, um, going through, you shall do this and shall not do this. Why? I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself. That the, that the law is a revelation of who God is. So a Christian should read everything in their Bible. Mm. As, as, as Timothy says, all in Scripture is God-breathed and profitable right. for instruction because all of it reveals something of God's nature and character. So David can delight in the law just like Christians should be able to because we should see that even in the commands that we might no longer keep today as because we're under the new covenant and that changes things, we can look at it and see, wow, what a God, mm-hmm. what a display of his glory and his care for his people and his care for the powerless and the vulnerable and his holiness and his justice and all of his attributes. Um, and as Christians, all of these things ultimately are revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He right. is, you know, God, formerly God spoke through the prophets. And in the latter times, he has spoken fully and finally in his son, mm-hmm. right? Hebrews 1. And um all that the law is, is points towards Christ. So we can rejoice just like David did 
in the sense that it reveals God, it reveals things about who we are and who we ought to be. Um, it's not all bad. And yet, Jesus does change things. Mm-hmm. So we look back through the lens of Jesus, as the apostles do, and we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. We say, how do the apostles interpret these things? How did Jesus um, show that he was the fulfillment of these things? And that's a whole other discussion. But we need to be able to read the Old Covenant in delight in the same way, right. in the God that it reveals, mm-hmm. in the sin that it reveals, in the promises that it makes fully and finally um, in pointing us to Jesus. Right. So let's just, let's make this really practical. Uh, yeah. If you were to sit down with someone in our church uh, who's struggling um, either under... Um, a weight of pride mm-hmm. or a weight of despair. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you encourage that person now? Well, this is, this is, you know, every situation is different, but yeah. in general terms, this is why the gospel addresses both of those things because the gospel for the person who is prideful um, shows us the depths of God's love and what it, what he truly requires. So for the person who feels as though they are fully meeting God's requirements. They are fully um, satisfying what he demands of humanity. I would just want to show them who Jesus is. <laughs> Say like, well, you must have a pretty low view of what God requires. And the gospel um, is a revelation of who God is. It reveals the depths of the love of God and that Jesus Christ would take on flesh, would live perfectly. And then we could look at what does that really mean? You know, have you lived like this? Do you do this? Have you always loved God perfectly? Have you always loved your neighbor as yourself? And here's what that actually means. And have you um, taken up your cross? You know, have you died to self? Have you truly lived in obedience to the Father, even to the point of death, death on the cross? And that is good news for sinners, but it is also a humbling thing for prideful people Mm -hmm. to say, look, the standard is the gospel is the new standard of love and, and it humbles the proud at the same time of giving grace to the despairing. Mm. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just setting a new moral example or, or um, showing, you know, the climax of God's love, which he was, Uh, he was also saving sinners who don't love as he did and don't love as they ought to that's why he came jesus christ came into the world to save sinners and so it humbles the proud by giving them the ultimate standard of love and showing you do not meet that the law doesn't need to do that the old covenant it can but the gospel itself does that that's why we don't say things like we preach the law to humble people and the gospel to help them that's silly The gospel humbles people because in the gospel, we also see what God requires, not just what he's done, but what he requires, that the cross is the climax of love. That is the climax of God's requirement for humanity is a self-giving, God-glorifying, others-focused love of Christ. That is the fulfillment of what the law requires. And it is also good news for those who have it. So when we, that's why Paul can say, we preach Christ. And he doesn't mean, you know, we preach law in Christ. We preach Christ. Because when we preach Christ, we preach all of it. 
what we ought to be and what we ought to do and what God has done for those of us who can't. And now as a response to that, who we ought to be and mm-hmm. what we ought to do. Mm-hmm. So preaching Christ and having the gospel central and having a clear understanding of what that is um, avoids both pride and despair. So um, we're almost at an end here. I, I don't know if you have more, but um, I think it would be, do you have any books off the top of your head that are helpful uh, in understanding uh, kind of a good middle road here? Um, just while you're thinking, there's there's one by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, it's called By Grace Alone. Um me and my wife went through this a number of years ago, and it's it's really helpful. He goes through the story of the prodigal son, and uh, he talks about how most people find themselves in in either the camp of 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 the son who's fleeing, who wants nothing to do with God, uh, living in indulgence. Um, he addresses the the kind of repentant son who thinks he's going to clean up his life, and the father's going to accept him as a servant. He goes to the Father and just opening his arms and, and, and pouring out unexpected grace. And, and he also touches on the older cynical son uh, who's pridefully standing, kind of judging the son, assuming that, uh, you know, he's got it all together. And it's, it's a really help. It, it, I think it, it walks that middle way mm-hmm. well. So that's Sinclair Ferguson by Grace Alone. Mm-hmm. Devoted to God by Sinclair Ferguson mm. is really good as well. Shout out to Sinclair in this podcast. Yeah, shout out yeah. to Sinclair. And uh, I haven't read it yet. I've read some little snippets of it, but The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson as well. Um, the Whole in Our Holiness by Kevin, Kevin DeYoung, DeYoung yep. is a short Great one. Yep. short book. Um, if I could just close, Ben, on kind of it's just a ground level Please, yep. discussion. The, the, the way this could flesh out, if we view all commands as legalistic and they're... Um, we cannot grow in the Christian life and mm. we will become passive uh, in our attempt to not become legalistic or moralistic. And mm. we just become paralyzed. Okay, I don't want to do anything um, wrong or legalistically or moralistically. So what what do I do? Yes. Part of it is understanding that God's grace is not opposed to doing. And, and Paul puts this amazingly in 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. It means it didn't do nothing. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Mm -hmm. So Paul sees no dichotomy between his works, which are law, and what God does, which is grace. It's all grace. All of his work, he can look back on. He doesn't say God partnered with me. He doesn't say we were little co-pilots in this thing. His was grace and mine was law. He says, I worked harder. I gave myself. I strained. And yet, when I look back, I can honestly say it was all the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And so we need to rethink these categories that reading my Bible and going to church and loving my neighbor and saying no to sin and yes to righteousness is not law, is not legalism. Yes. Um, that that is what the Spirit empowers, that that is actually all grace. Yeah. If it is done to the glory of God and the good of others and the love of God and the love of others, um, if it is motivated by Christ. And I think a lot of guys, we've talked about this, feel super um, 
maybe they just don't know how to live their life. If, if this gospel talk or this grace talk feels to them like, don't do anything or you're going to be a legalist. Right. That actually inhibits the means of growth for us. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Hebrews 4, where it talks about our powers of discernment being trained um, to know how to say yes to good and no to evil. And that growth doesn't happen by quietly contemplating the gospel. That we actually grow in character and Christ-likeness as we put into action our faith. Mm-hmm. And as we actually walk by the grace of God, as we actually have a living and active faith. And so partly how this theology has been so damaging is if you feel like all and any doing is legalistic or is law and you don't want to do that because you're a Christian, you're under grace, you'll never grow. Mm. So I hope some listeners just feel set free to say, look, I need to set Christ before my eyes daily, moment by moment. And I need to, in the power of his spirit and and by faith, do everything that he's told me to Mm do. And... out of love for him and a response to him. And that is not moralism or legalism. That is just the Christian life. Yeah. So we just need to tear down these false dichotomies and reductionisms and, and not be afraid to say we need to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen, brother. And, and the hope for the hope for all of us is, is to dive in uh, to all that grace is yeah and the freedom that gives us yeah and also to dive in to obedience mm-hmm. and um the love that god has shown for us mm-hmm. um why would we not want to obey with yeah. all of our hearts mm-hmm. um you know just as someone who's done something for you you're happy to do what do whatever you can right not that it will equal mm-hmm. their investment but mm-hmm. it's out of gratitude mm-hmm. um well, that was very helpful, uh, and I hope the listeners have found it helpful as well. Again, if you have uh, questions or comments on what you've heard or, or what you'd like to hear, please get in touch with us, um, alex at thegatheringptbo.ca or ben at thegatheringptbo.ca. Um, you can check us out on our website at thegatheringptbo.ca. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this time, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.